Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in on our sermon series through the Book of Romans. Throughout history, this has been regarded as the greatest letter ever written. It has been used by God to change people's lives for centuries, and we have prayed that God would use it to change your life as well. In a world full of bad news, Romans is about good news, and we hope God uses this sermon to help you believe and enjoy the good news of the gospel. Thanks for listening. This morning we're going to be reading from Romans 6. Um, It'll be on the screen behind me or you can follow along in your Bible. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it in its end eternal life for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord will you pray with me Heavenly Father how awesome it is that we get to come to you this morning that we get to receive the free gift of God of eternal life Lord even though the wages of our sin is death Lord we thank you this morning for every mom that is here For every mom that is listening, for every mom that has impacted the people who are here, Lord, we just thank you and and lift them up to you, Lord. We also know that Mother's Day can hold a lot of pain for a lot of people, so we just lift up those people as well, Lord, that, that need you, that need your comfort and your healing as you are just almighty God and see each person's heart. We also lift up Jason this morning as he brings the word, Lord. We pray that what he preaches would reach soft and tender hearts that are open to hear your word and open to respond, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to come to you and to just listen and respond. In your mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 It's good to see you this morning. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer. For those of you here in the room, welcome. For those of you who have traveled from out of town, welcome. For those of you joining us online, welcome and happy Mother's Day. Uh, It's a very complex holiday for many people and I know we're all very well aware of that. Um, Not even just complex with uh, how different people respond, but even uh, ourselves sometimes is complex internally. I know this morning uh, has stirred up a lot of things and emotions in, in my 
heart. Uh, some people in the room are grieving today because of the loss of a mother, perhaps. Uh, Thirteen years ago this month, my mother died in an accident, and so Mother's Day for me stirs up some, some grief and some sadness. Um, however, in her early 20s, she was presented uh, with a Bible that she began to read, and she put her faith in Jesus and trusted in the grace of Christ and was saved and forgiven, and so I know that she is not uh, in a, in a in a place where she would want to come back if she could. She's seen the very face of Jesus Christ, and yet for me there's a hole and there's an empty seat at the table. I know for many people there's a struggle because you've been trying to have children, maybe struggle with infertility or uh, a loss, and so it stirs up some emotions like that. And for many, many in the room, you are a mother, you have a mother that has just been unbelievably uh, kind and a blessing to you, has been up early in the mornings, has been up late, has prayed for you, has uh, prayed with you, has taught you, has been gracious and kind and patient. And so for the mothers in the room and for the mothers watching, we're just so honored, so uh, glad that God might give us the grace of your presence uh, in our lives. Uh, There's really not much on the planet like a good mother. And so this is just one of the really tricky things about being a family, is we're commanded to do all these different things. We're commanded to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, and we're commanded to grieve with those who grieve and to mourn with those who mourn. And so today we do all of those things. Uh, We want to recognize those who are hurt and definitely celebrate the goodness of God through our mothers. And so mothers in the room, I pray that you're encouraged this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit encourages you and maybe even gives you the gift of a nap today. By way of encouragement, I really hope, and I sent an email out yesterday, I just think this is one of the most unbelievably encouraging and powerful truths that you're going to hear this morning. It's not because of the sermon, uh, it's not because of the preacher, it's because of the text and the truth that we're going to look at, and I'll go ahead and tell you this, that I, 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 this has changed my life. I heard uh, this really idea and this sermon and this text preached, and I was pushed into my heart when I was 14 years uh, old, that was a quarter of a century ago, and uh, I, I've come back to it and reminded myself often and been reminded of the power of the truth that we're looking at today, that it truly has the power to change your life. It's changed mine and changed many people here in the room. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 6, and what Paul has been doing is just been unpacking the gospel, and he started with really who God is and God's character and His holiness, and then he unpacks the situation that humanity is in, that we're broken, that we're sinful, that we're in need of somebody from the outside to come in and to change us and to save us, and then it talks about how God has sent Jesus to do just that, to provide a way for us to be changed and saved and redeemed from the curse of the law. And he's just been piecing together the gospel and really this culmination that we've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. We don't earn it. We didn't work towards it. Uh, it's not works and then salvation. It's salvation and then works. But, but what Paul does is he really anticipates that we'll have some questions because he pushes grace so hard. And there's something inside of each one of us and every other world religion that talks about works, that says you need to work your way up to God, and yet the gospel of Jesus is radically different, saying that no, God has in fact worked His way in Christ towards us, and so we're saved by grace without any mixture of works. You don't have to do anything. And so he anticipates this question, well, what in the world do works have to do with the Christian life? And so I want to phrase this question a few different ways to hopefully catch each one of you maybe where you're at, uh, because I've heard this question that Paul is going to pose and he's going to answer in, in a few different nuanced ways. If we're saved by grace apart from works, then are works important for the Christian at all? 
That's, that's one way that it might be phrased. Uh, if you're saved by grace without the law, then should we even try to obey the law or should we just do what we want to have free license because of grace uh, to live our lives how we want to? I've heard it phrased that way. Uh, another way is uh, the gospel. Does it only change what we believe or does it in fact change how we behave? Uh, we talk a lot about faith and, and doctrine and what we believe because that's incredibly important. But oftentimes people have the question, well, is it, does it change my life at all? All the things that I'm supposed to believe on Sunday, does it have any effect in my life on a Monday morning? If works don't lead to salvation, should salvation lead to works? Uh, and last, uh, I've heard it phrased this way, and this is a question that I always get, and I think this is what Paul is addressing. Can God truly change my life? Is the gospel just about things to believe, or do those things that we believe, are they powerful enough to get inside of your heart where God can actually change the course of your life? That's where Paul starts. He's been working out that really before Jesus, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were born into slavery, as it were, that all humans were born kind of in this prison cell where uh, our, our, our slave master is sin, and uh, that's the nature that we've been given, and so we, we sin because that's our nature and that's our master and that sin leads to death and it leads to death in a lot of incredible ways and I love it and we talk about this often how it's interesting that over time the secular world as they do studies and look at sociology and look at humanity uh, that they slowly come to the realization that sin is bad and it leads to death and it's like, I could have saved you so much time and so many millions of dollars with all of these studies just to listen and obey the Bible. Yet in all these different ways, the, the, the reality shows us that sin leads to death. And uh, pride is a sin. I'm going to run through just a couple of ways that uh, before Christ, this sin that was, our, or it was domineering and was our master has led to death. And if something doesn't happen, there's really some bad things that are going to happen in our lives. Uh, pride is the sin that is pregnant with every other sin, the first sin that was present in the garden. And and outside of the Bible, the phrase is that pride comes before the what? Fall. It's like everybody just looking back saying, if you have pride, it's just a natural uh, slip down this slope until something breaks or something dies. Uh, if somebody is selfish, normally that's really the precursors to some broken marriages, uh, some broken relationships, that if that sin of selfishness is left to run its course, it's going to bring death and there's going to be some dead relationships in its wake. The Bible talks a lot about lust and about sexual sin, uh, both in the mind, in the heart, in the eyes, and with the body, and the culture really rejects that, and yet now is realizing that, in fact, if, if you let sin run its course, it will bring death. It will kill marriages, uh, people that are addicted to pornography. The stats are saying that that's bringing death to sexual uh, appetites, to healthy ways that that's supposed to work itself out in a marriage. The world just looking, it, it, this is what it's seeing, that sin leads to death. Uh, gluttony and alcohol has led to the death of many hopes and dreams and relationships and businesses. Uh, greed and materialism, which is rampant in our culture and our world, if it's left unchecked, will lead to really incredible amounts of brokenness. And that's the, that's the story of humanity that Paul has been playing out, that sin leads to death and we're slaves to sin. And yet this explosion of, of hope and light in Romans chapter 6 tells us that we have been rescued from that and we have been given a new master. And I'm going to go a little bit backwards today. So if you have a Bible, go to Romans chapter 7. 
Uh, I'm going to start in 7 and then we'll come back to 6 because in 7 Paul is giving an analogy of marriage and he's using this analogy of marriage to explain what has happened to those of us who have responded to the gospel. To to Christians who believed in Jesus, what has happened? Because if we're slaves to sin, uh, he talks about that being a marriage. We're, We're married to sin and he's going to use the Old Testament and the first century understanding of marriage, which is very similar to ours, that you should just be married to one person, and as long as you're married to that one person, you're committed to them. The only way out of that covenant is death, and if there's a death, then you're free to be remarried. That's the backdrop we'll start with in Romans 7, then we'll come back to chapter 6. If you're in Romans chapter 7, say, ready. This is Paul's marriage analogy towards us being dead to sin, alive to God. Or do you not know, brothers... For I am speaking to those who know the law, talking to Jews who are very well aware of the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. And accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But... If her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is Paul saying that before Christ we are married to the law, we're slaves to sin, and the only way we get out of that relationship is through death. So when you have faith in Christ, you are united with Christ in His death and His resurrection, which means you have died to that sin. You're released from that marriage, so you may remarry another. Really, so we may be truly married to Christ and have union with Jesus and therefore be slaves of righteousness, which leads to life, and not slaves of sin, which leads to death. So let's rewind and go back to Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Romans 6.15, this is Paul unpacking the idea that as Christians we have been saved, but we have not been saved so that we do not have a master. And, and, and catch this, this is incredibly important, especially in the United States where we love freedom, we don't like to answer really to anyone. We have not been saved from having a master, we have been saved to have a new master. And so in verse 15, Paul says this, he poses the question that I'm sure most of us have had, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. And he actually probably screamed it when he's writing it down. It's got an exclamation point. It's an emphatic statement saying, if you just want to abuse the grace of God and just sin and live your lives in a way that leads to death, you've missed the gospel. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, that's option A, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? That's Paul laying out the two options that we have because we're going to serve someone. 
We were not made to be gods that uh, are served by others. We are made to be servants. And option A is to serve sin that leads to death. Option B is to be set free from that and to serve Jesus that leads to life. And here's the hard left turn that he takes in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you, and he's talking to Christians who, like the, the whole book of Romans has been working through from beginning to end the need from the gospel, what Jesus has done in the gospel, and the reality for those who have already responded to the gospel. So he's going to shift gears and say some things that are unbelievably true that you need to know if you're a Christian. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart if you're a note taker, if you're a circle, or if you're a highlighter, that's an important phrase, that you become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been, this is past tense, having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. So while sin reigns in those that are not believers that leads to death in all sorts of places, both short-term and eternal, we've been set free from that, set on a track to love, to serve, to worship, to be full of good works that then lead to righteousness in Christ. And and I love that phrase talking about being uh, obedient from the heart. Because religion would say that you need to try to work towards God and be obedient so that He accepts you. But the gospel says we have been so radically changed by the grace of God that from our heart, out of, out of love and out of gratefulness, we then want to obey. This is the picture that we've used all throughout this letter of Romans. That if we've been adopted, if you picture a child that's been adopted into a family... And when they come to realize that they have been fully embraced, given the family name, given the complete honors that all of those who are born of blood in that family have, once they realize that, then they're released to obey out of a, out of a grateful and a full heart. They're not trying to earn something. It's not works trying to earn acceptance. It's acceptance leading to obedience from the heart. It's a completely new incentive to live. So this is why Paul says it's a crazy statement to say, if I've been saved by grace, should I change my life at all? Should I be full of works at all? And he says, yeah, if your heart's been changed, then you should want to follow Jesus, want to know what the Bible says about every area of your life, and to follow because he's your master and it leads to life. Verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And honestly, this is just really practical advice that he's giving to Christians. He's reminding them of their lives B.C., their lives before Christ, talking about the sin that they had and the, and the shame that they had and the way that that was leading to death and helping them to remember that. I think it's important for us to remember our lives before Jesus and then to remember what we have been purchased for. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time when the thing, uh, from the things of which you are now ashamed, for the end of those is death? This is an honest conversation 
that Paul is opening up, and, and he's really inviting us to be honest. And I think it's interesting that he talks about after someone has, has become a Christian and come to faith, that there kind of becomes this uh, ability to look back at our past, and he says that we're kind of ashamed of some of the things that we've done in our past. And normally people aren't ashamed of some of the things that they're doing as non-Christians while they're doing it because they don't have anything different to compare it to. It's just kind of life, and uh, you look around, and everybody has these things and these struggles, and they all seem to be leading to death. So There's not really any shame until you've been rescued from that and then you look back on that and he says like you need to look back and you need to recognize that when you were slaves to sin, what you did was leading to death. How many of you have ever done anything stupid in your past? Everyone. And that's okay. Like you need to know that and you need to know you're in good company. Everybody's in that company except for Jesus. Uh, I'm a, a very, you know, present part of that club. Paul's like the president of the club of people who've done things that they're ashamed of and then they're rescued from that and they look back on that and we should be able to see very clearly after we have given our lives and hearts to Jesus, been saved by his grace, we should be able to look back at our lives, some of the things we did, some of the habits that we had, some of the trails that we walked on and see very clearly that those things were in fact leading to death. Pride was leading to death. Lust was leading to death. Our habits with alcohol were leading to death. Our greed and materialism were leading to things dying. When you pull out and you realize that, then then you see that God has, in fact, set us free from this track that's leading to destruction. And what's, what's so unbelievable about this text for me this week is because when we get to this to this phrase here, this verse in verse 23, um, that, that's almost always, when I've heard it throughout my whole life, that's almost always linked to eternity. But Paul is focusing most of his time in this chapter, not necessarily on eternity, but on the life of the Christian to be victorious over sin now. The eternal life with Christ begins now, and it leads to eternity. He says it this way, but now that you have been set free from sin, you've become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And then here's the verse that I'm sure you've heard. If you've been around church at all, you've heard it. And it's always in the context of, of, of salvation for eternity, which is most tr- most clearly true of that but this verse is very clearly true about how your life is lived tomorrow and what difference God can make in your life Monday morning for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord and you need to know this I know a lot of Christians that have been saved, have put their faith in Jesus, have received the grace of God, but have not been fully convinced that they have been set free from the power of sin, just kind of uh, uh, reserved and resigned to the idea that I'm a Christian, I'm going to go to heaven, but life is just going to be hell, and I'm always going to have these sins that I'm uh, dominated by, and they're always going to bring some type of death in my life, and just have no idea the amount of freedom that you have when you're united with Christ. When you're united with Christ in His death, you're dead to the law that sin is no longer your master and you're alive to God. Jesus is your new master. There's a very powerful story that I want to share that I I think unpacks this truth because really... uh, 
today's message is very, very simple. There is not very complex. There's not a whole lot of different elements to it. It's one very simple message that I think is revolutionary. It's been revolutionary for my life, and I could share you story after story of people in Redeemer who've been set free from sin in their lives. And this story really presents sometimes the switch that has to go off when people realize, when Christians realize that sin isn't your, your taskmaster anymore. It's not your master that Jesus is. Uh, in, in the Civil War, uh, 1860s, our war, obviously our country was at war. North and South was split on the issue of uh, mainly slavery. And President Lincoln issued what we all know of as the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. And this was really, in effect, it was an executive order. Uh, it was a federal law that changed the legal status of 3.5 million slaves uh, that were enslaved in America on our soil. And President Lincoln, in that speech in 1863. I'll read just a little excerpt from this because this is a powerful thing when you see it in just historical context and then you translate it to what this means for us as Christians spiritually. He says this. This is an excerpt from the Emancipation Proclamation. He said, on the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as slaves within any state they shall be then, thenceforward, and forever free. That was the declaration that, that, that slaves from here on are free, and then two more years of war would happen in our country until April 9th, 1865, when General Lee would surrender uh, at Appomattox Courthouse in Virginia. I've been there. I've seen it. It's a quaint little uh, courthouse in the middle of an open field where he would come in and he would surrender to uh, General Grant, and then functionally the Civil War would be over. But meanwhile in Texas... We just like to do things differently in Texas, and this is a very bad blemish on the history of Texas, uh, is there were two months that the slave owners in in Texas, they still owned their slaves, and they knew about the Emancipation Proclamation. They knew the war was over, and they refused to tell their slaves. And so until Juneteenth, until June 19th, 1965, there were thousands of slaves in Texas living as slaves, though legally they were free. And there was somebody a few years ago, it was actually 1941, uh, a man named John Henry Falk that uh, began to interview a lot of different former slaves in Texas. And he interviewed this one uh, woman, and you can find the entire transcript of this interview. Uh, she was a young child when the Civil War was taking place and remembers June 19th very clearly. And uh, many years later, 1941, when she was interviewed, uh, she shares some very powerful things. So I want you to see a picture of her. This is Laura Smalley. Uh, she was a slave in Hempstead, Texas, uh, which is not too far from here, uh, down southeast uh, of here. She was born into slavery, and she remembers just the, the horrible nature of what it was, and she remembers when somebody came into her town June 19th, 1865, and declared that they were free, and she had no idea that they had been free for months. And in this interview, John Henry Falk, 1941, at her home in Hempstead, interviewed her, and she said so many things. You can go back and listen to it and look at it yourselves, but uh, one sentence that I read not long ago, um, she said about slavery, I think transposes to us in our spiritual world very clearly. She said, you know, and the old master, he didn't tell no one that they was free. 
He did not tell no one that they was free. That's exactly what she said word for word. And I'm, there's, there's so many Christians that, listen, your old taskmaster does not want you to know that you have been set free. He doesn't want you to know. He wants to convince you you're not free. He wants to tell you you're still in slaves, that you're still in shackles, that you still have to obey the old impulses of the flesh and the desires of your sinful nature. And he's just like, like you've been set free, but the, the door's wide open, but you're still in the, the cell. You do not know that you've been set free. And that's why Paul is so adamant to say, no, this isn't just a future tense thing. You have been set free from the power of sin. It's not your master anymore. You have a new master. Faith in Christ unites us with Christ in His death, meaning we're released from that old taskmaster. And it's been, we've been united with Christ in His life, meaning we have a new master that is a good and a gracious God that as we serve Jesus, it leads to life. That you're not a slave to sin. That you're not a slave to lust. That you're not a slave to pornography. Jesus' death has broken the chains. That you're not a slave to greed. You're not a slave to materialism. We're not a slave to fear and anxiety. We're not slaves to selfishness. We will still have those impulses of the sin nature, even as Paul himself did. But we are no longer slaves. We can obey them. Listen, we can obey them, but we don't have to. We can obey our old master in ways that will wreak havoc on your life because sin always leads to death. But you no longer have to do what the old master says. You have a new master and you need to know that. But now that you have been set free from sin, you've become slaves of God. The fruit you get now, this is your life now in Christ. So does, 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 does faith that you have and the good doctrine that you have, does it matter at all in your life? Immensely. The fruit that you get now leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life, because the wages of sin is death. What we earn when we sin is death financially, relationally, maritally, Spiritually, every, what we get in turn for sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This truth was told to me when I was 14 years old. I remember I was struggling with lust and just dealing with some things that uh, I was very open with with my youth pastor back in the day, Brad Spear, and he shared with me three things. He said, when you feel like you need to sin, do some push-ups I felt like that was great advice. Remember Romans chapter 6, because Romans chapter 6 says that you're freed from that, that that is not your master. You're free from sin, that you're free to obey Jesus. And he shared with me 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that says there is no temptation taking you, but that which is common to man, meaning that you're not going to be tempted in any way that any other Christian has never been tempted. We're all very uh, unique in the way that we are tempted. And he says, this is a promise from God, that God will never let you be tempted beyond what you're able to withstand and he will always provide a way out. I remember 25 years ago putting that in my mind. Okay, push-ups. <laughs> when you feel temptation, push-ups, and that led, I've, I've, you know, I did well in powerlifting because I did a lot of push-ups. And then I re- just, for the last 25 years, when you're tempted to sin, when the old flesh comes back, when the old taskmaster says, you have to do this. 
you say what? No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't have to be selfish. I don't have to be prideful. I don't have to be greedy. I don't have to give in to lust. Why? I have a new master now. I have, I have a new leader that I'm freed from, from the, the reign of sin in my life. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be set free from the power of sin. Not just the effects of sin in eternity. Praise God for that. The presence of the sin in your life that's going to damage something this week unless you learn to preach the gospel to yourself and to be reminded that we don't, we don't have to follow that God anymore. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves to God. I love this verse because it has changed my life. And I want to encourage you with whatever sin, you can just honestly fill in the blank. If I were to ask you, what sin are you struggling with that's causing the most death in your life? You fill in the blank for whatever that might be, and you remind yourself of Romans chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that that sin does not have any power over your life, that you serve Jesus now. Do we believe in counseling? Absolutely. Absolutely, we believe in counseling. Do we believe in all the different ways that God has given us to fight sin? Do we believe that sin can create habits that change the neural pathways of our mind that create addiction? We believe that. We believe in all, pulling in all the different ways to fight sin. But ab- underneath all of this, what undergirds all of the truth of how we fight sin is to be convinced that we are dead to sin. It's no longer our slave. We are slaves to God that leads to sanctification, to righteousness, and eventually eternal life. It's a very simple message that has unbelievably profound effects on how you live your life as a Christian. Let me invite you to bow your head, to close your eyes, and let's pray together. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. God, I pray for both the Christians in the room this morning and the non-Christians that you would truly give us accurate eyes to see what sin really does. God, to see the things that our culture celebrates as sinful, and yet at the same time it is wreaking havoc on souls and people and relationships and marriages and kids and families and parents and moms and dads. God, it's so strange that the things the world celebrates bring so much death and destruction. So God, I pray that you'd help us to see that just with the honesty that Paul writes about it. Thank you that you have rescued us from that from the things that we've done in our past that we are ashamed of, God, that they are no longer our identity, that that's not who we are. We are new and we are washed and we are clean in Christ. We have been set free. So, Father, my prayer just very simply this morning is for those who are struggling with the effects of sin in their lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill them up. As as Paul prayed in Philippians 3, that you would fill them up with the power of the resurrection, with the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed in his death. God, fill us up with the power of the resurrection to say no to sin and say yes to you and to present our lives and our finances and our calendar as slaves to righteousness. God, that brings life. Father, we pray in these next few moments that you would speak very specifically to each one in this room and each one online. God, I pray that you would draw us into the gospel, help us to have faith in Jesus and what you can do for your glory in our lives. I pray that you would set some folks free today. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you that this is not 
theology that has no bearings on our lives, but this is truly what you have purchased for us, a new life in Christ that begins now and extends into eternity. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on this podcast. We would love for you to join us at one of our in-person services as well. For more information or to support our ministry, please visit RedeemerMidland.org.